Let us pray. So, Father, we do ask that you would help us to love and more fully adore you. That you would conform our hearts to obedience to you and your holy character. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them or take one of the pew, the pew Bibles found under your seats and turn to St. John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Our Gospel reading for today continues in St. John's Gospel, focusing again, as we did last week, on what is known as the Upper Room Discourse, this extensive teaching which Jesus gives to his disciples at the Last Supper on the night in which he was betrayed just hours before his trial and his crucifixion. Last Sunday, we focused on Jesus' new commandment to his disciples that night, as we read in John 13, 34 through, 40, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, for one another. I also mentioned last Sunday that on this night, that Je- on this night, Jesus, in a sense, bequeaths three spiritual treasures to his disciples in the upper room discourse. In John 13, he bequeaths his love to them. In John 14, which we're looking at today, he bequeaths his peace. And in John chapter 15, he bequeaths his joy. And part of our focus this morning is this overarching peace. God's peace to his people in and through Jesus Christ, which Jesus speaks about, especially in verse 27. And what we find in the beginning verses of this passage is that we are empowered to love as Christ loves. And as we look at verses 21 through 24 of John 14, Jesus clearly establishes a crucial link between loving God and knowing or experiencing God's peace, which he speaks of a few verses later. The two are inextricably linked. Look at verse 21 with me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus here clearly establishes a link between obedience to God and love for God. We don't want to miss the importance of Jesus' words here and his choice of words. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, has and keeps. Now, obedience to God's commands has always been associated or linked to love of God among God's covenant people. This didn't start with the incarnation of Jesus, this didn't start with the New Testament. Hear these verses from the Old Testament. Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall now not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Nehemiah 1.5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then finally, Daniel chapter 9. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. There are many other verses from the Old Testament I could also quote that emphasize those who love God and who keep his commandments. Like we saw last week looking to both John 13 and Leviticus 19, what is new for the disciples is not the idea of loving God and keeping his commandments, but what is new to them and you and me through the record of the Gospels is that now we have a living example of what God's love and loving obedience to God looks like in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God in human flesh and blood. And as we will see through his resurrection and shortly through the outpouring of the promised Holy Spirit, these disciples and you and I have a new power from God to live and walk in love and obedience to him. But let's come back to verse 21 for a moment. Whoever has my commandments. The picture here is one of full possession one of ownership, whoever has my commandments, whoever takes ownership of my commandments, they become an integral part of our life. With ownership of anything comes a sense of responsibility. Owning something is very different than simply using something. And this is not a commentary on any of you who rent homes, so please don't hear that. But as someone who's had rental properties and also having a father-in-law and mother-in-law who've had many rental properties over the years. A lot of people who don't own just don't treat things quite the same as those who own them. And one of my favorite stories, although I have a bunch of them from Tammy's dad, is he had a lady who was a tenant. She called and said she was going to be moving on. And um, he went over to the house to do a walkthrough. And the place, she'd been there one year. And the place was just beat up, um, you know, stuff that, doesn't happen in your house in 15 or 20 years. She did in one year and the place was absolutely filthy. And she very proudly announced to Tammy's father. She said, Oh, I don't do any cleaning. And I just move once a year. and I get a fresh start with a nice new clean house once a year. No sense of ownership. But with God's commands here, there needs to be having God's command means taking ownership of them in our lives. And this is not mere intellectual knowledge or cognitive understanding. 
to have Jesus' commandments is indeed to keep them, to walk in them in daily life. St. Augustine put it this way, who hath them orally keepeth them morally. True love of God leads to active obedience. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you manifest, you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Those who love God demonstrate this love by walking in fidelity and obedience to God and his commands out of love. To be clear here, I want to be very clear. We are not talking about works righteousness. We are not talking about earning our salvation through works here. Leon Morris comments on this in his wonderful commentary on this passage from John's gospel, where he says, this does not mean that God hands out rewards on the basis of merit, but rather that love calls to love. I like that imagery. Love, being loved by God, calls us to love him. Morris continues, love is not regarded in this gospel as an abstract emotion, but as something intensely practical. It involves obedience. Now, an illustration of the converse of that, um, a very prominent comedian, and I'm not going to name this person, but who has won Grammy and Emmy Awards, had this to say about beliefs. I have a lot of beliefs and I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I like believing them. I like that part. They're my little beliefs. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they get in the way of a thing I want to do, I sure as heck just do what I want to do anyway. That is the complete opposite of what having ownership of love and commands looks like. Love received from God leads to love returned. The other thing which Jesus promises here is this, and, and we will come and make our home with him. And this too is an amazing and profound promise. Through the coming of the promised Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which we will observe in two weeks, Jesus and the Father come in fullness by the Holy Spirit to make their dwelling in believers. And this relates to God's fullness and presence and glory in the Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament perspective on this related to God's glory, specifically dwelling in the midst of Old Testament Israel as a people, as a nation. Specifically in the temple of Jerusalem, where God's presence was present in a very unique and special way. And prior to that, in the tabernacle in the wilderness. But this same glory of God, specific at that time to the physical location of the temple, will now be present in believers, in God's people. So following the fulfillment of these promised events, which came after Christ's ascension, St. Paul could write with God-breathed assurance to the Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple? Do we understand that? That through the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that the same glory of God that dwelt in the physical temple 
in Jerusalem, that dwelt in the tabernacle in the wilderness, that same glory of God can dwell inside of us. That's an amazing thing to ponder. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. But the converse is also true. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Love leads to obedience to God. It did for Jesus. And he has given us his example and his power so that for us, love will also lead to ever-increasing obedience to God's heart and to God's commands. And Jesus assures those believers and us that he will indeed send the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, and that he will indeed teach and empower us and them to walk in fullness of love and obedience to Christ. It's an essential ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us and lead us in obedience to Christ and love of him. Through what Christ has accomplished, we are empowered to love God and others as he has loved us. And we are empowered to love as he has demonstrated love for the Father so that we too can love God through him. The second thing we see here is that we are filled with peace and secured in God's love. Again, this is in a sense the bequest of Jesus to his disciples in John chapter 14. This peace of God, this peace that only comes to those in a living relationship with God through Christ. It has nothing to do with the absence of strife and turmoil in the world around us. It had nothing to do with the absence of strife and turmoil around those first century disciples to whom Jesus was speaking on that night. Because the peace which Jesus speaks of is his gift to those who are his. It's not coincidental that in this setting where Jesus speaks of the promised coming of the Holy Spirit in fullness, that his bequest to his disciples in John chapters 13, 14, and 15 is love, peace, and joy. Think about that for a moment. Does it sound familiar? Because these are also the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Slightly different wording order, but Galatians 5.22 reminds us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And then it continues. But all of this, this joy, this godly fruit, this peace, it comes through Jesus. It is not as the world gives. For much of the world at that time, especially the Greeks, peace was simply the absence of war, the absence of conflict. In contrast, the peace that comes from God in Christ is the complete opposite of that. It's the complete opposite of any type of a void, the opposite of any type of empty or hollow expanse. Because God's peace is not the absence of something, but rather it is being filled. It is being filled with God's peace. It is 
being filled with that peace which is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the idea of fruit here points to bounty, to an abundant harvest, to, to that which is good and a work of God growing and welling up inside of us. What God speaks of here is not the absence of anything, but it is a peace of fullness and blessing. It is God's peace that fills us with God's blessing and flows from the fullness of a living relationship with Him. And it is a peace that is not tethered to anything in this world. Rather, it transcends the things of this world. It is a blessing of our salvation. It grows out of a living relationship with Christ based on Christ's eternal kingdom. That's why St. Paul in Philippians 4, 7 could describe it this way. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Which surpasses understanding. It's beyond temporal, earthly, human comprehension. This peace which is beyond temporal, earthly comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not as the world gives. Not some temporal or fleeting peace. Not something that is the absence of anything. Not as the world gives do I give to you. But I give to you that which is full, which is of blessing, which is filled with life. All of this is completely contrary to the ways and thinking of this world. That people, that we as God's people could have peace in the midst of earthly trials, in the midst of conflicts. That we could know life in a world where there's so much death and loss around us. And yet that is what God makes possible for us in Jesus Christ. I want to quote from Andrew Murray in his book, With Christ in the School of Obedience, as I conclude this morning. The, the true pupil, say of some great musician or painter, yields his master a wholehearted and unhesitating submission. In practicing his scales or mixing the colors, in the slow and patient study of the elements of his art, he knows what it is, what it is, he knows that it is wisdom simply and fully to obey. It is this wholehearted surrender to his guidance, this implicit submission to his authority which Christ asks. We come to him asking him to teach us the lost art of obeying God as he did. The only way of learning to do a thing is to do it. The only way of learning obedience from Christ is to give up your will to him and to make the doing of his will the one desire and delight of your heart. Christ has given us his example, his perfect example. And he has indeed sent the helper the paraclete, the one who comes alongside the Holy Spirit of truth to empower us to walk in obedience to God out of love and fidelity. He has called us to grow in our love of God. I am well aware, beginning with me, that every single one of us is human and we do this far from perfectly. But as we allow God to work our hearts, even like a violinist tunes a fine instrument, or he tunes, he listens, and he tunes again, and more and more, 
the pitch becomes more perfect and more specific and more perfectly aligned. God will indeed tune our hearts. He will attune our hearts to make them more fully his, to make our hearts more fully in love with him and out of that love, empowered to walk in greater obedience and fidelity to God and his commands. And as he does this and we respond and yield ourselves to his gracious working in our lives, we will be more and more filled with his peace. A peace that is of abundance, a peace that is fruitful, a peace that is indicative of the good and gracious work of God in us. Not as the world gives, give I to you. As I conclude, I want to take a moment to pray. I want to ask all of us, beginning with me, to, to allow God to, by his spirit, search our hearts. Allow him to do some more of that tuning right here, right now, even this morning. There may be things that we, before the Lord, need to repent of, that we need to confess and turn away from so that God can more fully do his good and gracious work in us and that we can grow in ever-increasing love to Christ, that we can grow in ever-increasing obedience to Christ and his commands, and that we can be filled more and more with the presence and the peace of God to be those bright and shining lights God has created us and recreated us and is calling us to be. Let us pray. Father, search our hearts by your spirit. Lord, even now, may we lay down before you those things that we need to confess, that we need to turn from. Lord, may you tune and retune our hearts to be more fully yours. To be in resonance with your heart and your will. To be in obedience to your commands out of love for you. And Lord, as we allow you to do your good and gracious work in us, may you fill us with your peace, a peace that the world cannot give but a peace that is abundant and full of blessing and fruitful in your kingdom. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.